and welcome to Spatial, the podcast where the real world meets the digital world as we explore the intersection of spatial computing and AI. Let's welcome our host, Andrew Ballard. Over to you, AB. G'day and welcome to Spatial. This is episode two. Yes, 002. For those keeping count, that's two leading digits, implying that yes, we will be up in the hundreds one day. So that's the battle plan anyway. This week, we are actually down by one. William is not with us. He is at home resting, but we hope dreaming of electric sheep. But we do have Violet. Violet, g'day. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. And Merrick in Vancouver with what is sadly a bandaged uh, mouse finger. Yes, that finger. I'm glad we're in audio only format. Thank you, Merrick. How are you doing, mate? Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Doing great, doing great. And Helena in New Zealand, how are we faring? G'day, yeah, it's probably the hottest day of the year so far, but we're doing well. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is going to be hitting low 30s here again. Um, it is beach weather. Uh, how many days have you been to the beach in the last seven days? Um, Helena, have you been? Oh, I'm not a beach person, zero. <laughs> zero, I okay. Like, I don't like salt water, but it's nice to get outside anyway. Okay, very nice. It's <laughs> it's the smell, it's the vista, it's being close to the ocean is, is quite yeah. nice. Well done. We are actually freezing here on the Vancouver Island. It's supposed to be minus 14 Celsius. Oh, my goodness. We've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. Right. And weather watch in Philly? Cold. Very cold. Cold. Okay. Gotcha. But the heater is keeping up. The hot chocolates are thick and fast. Cozy inside, yes. Fast five. Welcome back. This is Fast Five. We do a round trip of our hosts for News of the Week. Violet, over to you. By the sound of it, you've been cruising the CES news feeds and getting super inspired by what's been coming out of Las Vegas this year. I actually didn't even see where it came out of. All I noticed was there was something somewhat Roomba-like that's a robot. So um, imagine a Roomba style robot looks more like a ball. It's an AI robot companion by Samsung, but it also controls things in your home. Uh, it also projects and it can project on anything in the home. You can speak to it. So uh, this thing is called Bali. Uh, it's an AI robot companion by Samsung. It's a cross between a tennis ball and a Pac-Man, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, it's kind of cute. But what I thought was interesting about it is I'm obsessed with projectors and all the, the ways you can overlay AI with space using projectors because nice. it creates these kind of social computing interactions gets you out of the kind of personal computing paradigm you know we've seen the glasses everywhere but i really like the idea of everyone in the environment gets to see what's happening um and i just thought it was interesting i was reading that it has this auto detect on it for uh people's posture in the space and their like face angle to adjust the projection so we play a lot with projectors, but it's always this kind of like 
technical problem where you're trying to decide, should we just put projectors everywhere? <laughs> no, let's put projectors on wheels. <laughs> and then you can speak to it and it can understand the context of what you want on the projector. Um, and so that's really where like AI starts to get layered in more. Yeah, because by definition, it's coming from a very low aspect. So it, it, there's pictures of it here displaying on floors and on walls. Certainly, it needs to do some serious parallelogram correction, skew projection, if it's going to be displaying a pseudo-TV screen or a large wall screen. Is that the kind of use, though, being able to follow and being able to be your buddy that's always uh, tagging along and being ready to help you out with X or Y or Z command? Is it a cross between our desktop uh, displays and smart homes? Yeah, it sounds like... I think some of the use cases they show is someone is um, working out and they have a workout video that's following them and then they get on a video call or they ask to bring up a video call. Um, so it, it, in some ways akin to something like a phone, but now all of a sudden it's hands-free and um, more environmental, maybe like larger. Then there's something where someone's not home and they're talking to Bali remotely and it's interacting with their dog and dispensing treats. <laughs> um, and, and then projecting a video for the dog, of course, like a like some sort of bird video that entertains it. So we're so, talking cat book, but, but now a mobile <laughs> version. No, yeah. perfect. So I'm not really convinced that like the, the use cases they have yet are like blowing my mind. <laughs> but the full function is really... spectacular, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm just excited about the potential of layering in AI and speech and navigation with projection. So I think it's makes me happy to see um, things emerging in yeah. that realm. Yeah. And being a projector slash assistant that is mobile in any way and hopefully smaller and therefore not as costly and is this is the obvious thing to do. We could do something that's on a stick and taller, but that's going to cost more and be larger and be far slower. So, yep, if it can work with pets as well as humans, then spectacular. Yeah, and I'm almost curious what Mirek thinks. Um, you know, I know you've been thinking a lot about this whole idea of um, uh, assembly and AI and assembly. Um, now, if, if we start to see robots that move around and can layer in instructions, you know, maybe this makes its way to like project floor plans or things that are contextually relevant for not just robots, but um, humans in the space, like, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking what it could be used for, because you're, you're right, this is just a different way of conveying something that I'm mainly uh, thinking of as, as augmented reality, you know, layer of information or interactivity. And I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm wondering, I, I'll have to check out uh, Bali and what it can actually do, because like when you say it can, it can it can like feed your dog, you know. So I'm wondering, like, can it actually interact with the environment, or is it just triggering APIs somewhere else to, you know, a little gadget that actually does that for you? Mm -hmm. I would think it's it's the latter. It and is. Yeah. I think projection might be interesting, but then you're relying a lot on the environment that needs to be set up for this kind of thing. So it won't go mm -hmm. anywhere with you and work the same way as opposed to, you know, an AR headset that you can actually take somewhere and, and go full 3D, which is kind of the point in, in my mind. We're not conveying just 
say where the robot is going to go because this is kind of rudimentary information might be interesting if you're trying to prevent an accident or the robot's running into somebody but it's just one thing that's you know two-dimensional maybe going 3d allows you to see other things that maybe you're working together uh on with the robot say you know a cad model of, of of a construction that that you know a human and bunch of machines are are are, are collaborating on um definitely interesting yeah it's so a great kind part of, of the mix yeah i would just imagine it getting stuck somewhere <laughs> Absolutely. It, it does suffer uh, the Doctor Who, uh, the Dalek problem of uh, stairs are going to be a tough issue for it. So it's obviously homebound, office bound for now, but excellent. Oh, they're um, pretty good at locking themselves into pantries as well. At least the, the non-smart versions were. <laughs> nice, nice. Helena, over to you for a fast five. Yeah, so um, I sent around the link. I'm sure you'll pop it in the show notes. Um, And this is from the Consumer Electronics Show, just hot off the press. Three days ago, where VW has announced that they are integrating ChatGPT into their um, voice assistant, into their IDA voice assistant thingy that they have in their cars, um, starting even in like the second quarter of 2024. Um, So the way that it's going to work is that you can essentially talk to this voice assistant, but it's not just pre-programmed with the kind of stuff that it might have been doing before. You can now really ask it any kind of questions um, and it will kind of work with ChatGPT to answer that. So the idea, I think, is to, um, you know, that in, in the release article, it's something like, um, uh, you know, that you can uh, have your road trip questions answered and settle debates and whatnot. Uh, on the fly, but I actually think um, it's probably the first step into a much, much bigger um, thing where I really kind of envision it being merged more with the navigation side of things. So, um, you know, where you I get to destination, what should I do if I have 30 minutes, you know, um, give me five ideas for a quick 30 minute walk within X radius. Yeah. So sort yeah. of that queries kind of that are not so much factual, but um, open-ended questions now. Also, well, I mean, what I was thinking more was like along the factual line, like there's definitely, I hadn't even thought of that, but um, that's a great point. But also if we think about like pure navigation for it to be like a tour guide, you know, so you've set your navigation system, like, I don't know, drive me to Christchurch or, or whatever. And then you could say like, actually, I'm really interested in historic sites. Um, like, why don't you tell me what I can see along the way? Um, and, you know, you could be like, well, okay, back to your idea. Um, AB, if we say, okay, I've got you know, kind of roughly an hour and a half to spare, what could I do? Um, or even just like, you know, entertain me, tell me, tell me all you've got to about this kind of route, what can I do? Um, that kind of thing. And I think that's probably not very far away. I think that's happening very, very soon because there's so much in that navigation space already. So I think that would be a logical next step for that to come um, into the car. But then if we also think, I, this is probably not even going to be either technically feasible or legal due to uh you know distraction's sake but if then we think even one step further into like vr projection you know you could even imagine um the car doing its little projections onto the stuff 
around, you know, you're driving around and there's a mountain to your right and it's kind of like popping up the little mountain name and it's telling you a little bit about the mountain. I don't know. That's just like probably, I feel like that's way in the future, but it's probably not even way in the future. It's probably like next year. That's an out quote, early January, 2024. Uh, Helena thinks this is way in the future. Okay. Noted for future reference. We'll we'll talk again in August. Mary? Sorry, I, I, I just wanted to say that it's definitely interesting that maybe not necessarily it has to be part of the car, you know, all these features. Like, I would be interested to see when finally large language models come together with, say, Google Lens, you know, something that you point your phone at, take a picture uh, that gets uploaded to the cloud and gives you all sorts of insights of where you are, what this is, you know, opening hours of the shore, of the, of the store that you in front of uh, i think that might be a good place to connect large language models rather than a card that tells you you know stuff that you didn't ask for maybe <laughs> but I, I i see where this is coming from because it's a car company so obviously you know they're trying to mm. show innovation i'm wondering why siri is so stupid this whole time you know we mm. were still like years from original announcement and it still can't even like make up what i'm saying half the time and i don't think it's my accent um, yeah, these uh, so, interfaceless so, tools, you either need to have full trust and just go with it and it never fails you, but the moment it fails you two or three times, you just, you know, leave it on the shelf for so long, you can never quite figure out what the options are. One thing I will say is, um, I just the other day was seeing uh, this thing called, oh, I think it's called projection bombing or, yeah, I want to say it's called projection bombing. I need to look this up. But essentially, people will put projectors on their cars as a way of um, activism, and they'll drive up to buildings like, let's say, like the Trump building or um, like um, iconic places and project messages onto these. So I'm like, almost, yeah, there's something interesting about a projector on a car Mm -hmm. and like what that has, how people might hijack that intentionally to like change the spaces around them. Coming in 2025, yeah. Volkswagens <laughs> with projectors on the roof, not just roof racks. Spectacular. Okay, I've got a few fast fives for you. I've got three separate ways that have been uh, new tools in the last couple of weeks that are text to 3D modeling. Um, the, the meta is they're all good, question mark. They're definitely not perfect, but they're three different approaches that can hit a similar kind of aim. Um, One of the biggest ones is Genie from um, Luma. It makes high fidelity 3D objects. So you can literally just, like we can do any of the text to image, um, it lets you do text to a 3D model. The model then has to be an encapsulated thing, you know, not a not a Vista, that one's coming up next. Um, it's, it's, its aim is that it is uh, giving you high poly count, which is the thing that's generally been missing from the early versions of these. Early versions of text to a 3D model are kind of in the realm of 3D chess pieces. Rudimentary, fundamentals, maybe a bit of smoothing, but if you look on the backside, the underneath, it's pretty poor polygon shaping. The uh, Lumagini idea is that it is a version zero of something that you would probably have done yourself. So the get out of jail free card is that it's not meant to be 100% perfect. It is meant to be the starting point for you to then tinker with ad nauseum, but certainly it's uh, leading the pack. Um, A separate second one is called text to immersion. And don't panic, there's links in the show notes for all of these. 
Um, this is where it is actually making a 3D scene using Gaussian splats, so similar to NERFs. Um, it's kind of 3D. I'll question that a little bit and say it's two point something dimensions. It's got that early Gaussian splatting nerf thing where you can't go anywhere within the scene. You can just oscillate back and forth, up and down, left, right kind of thing to get a little bit of a vista change, but you really can't wander anywhere through a scene. What it does is it actually gives you sort of wedge segments around your view in 360 degrees that lets you feel like you're in whatever environment you specify in text. So you can do outdoors, you can do indoors, you can do all sorts of things. And within some bounds, it lets you sort of have that little bit of movement. But once you sort of realize you're just wiggling back and forth like a uh, NPC, then suddenly the views don't work if you were able to step left or right too far. But still a great first way of working that actually sort of gives you that I want a uh, encapsulated area and I want something to fill it. Um, definitely it won't be uh, anywhere near perfect and since it's a Gaussian splat you can't just bring that straight into a uh, 3D engine and change it up. The third of the trio is called N3D or EN3D and this is a great way to make 3D human models um, from either text to model or from a zero shot that is a single image. So if you literally have a photo of you, uh, you know, a few seconds later, you'll have a complete 3D model of you, which is pretty awesome. The text to model is probably better. It lets you build up what you want to make a whole 3D avatar. The best thing is it's rigged or riggable. So uh, for one of our metaverses, either capital M or lower M metaverse, coming forward, we might be able to have 3D avatars on the fly and just be able to switch them out. The, as I say, the, the, the meta for these three different techniques to make text to 3D is that they're all a darn sight better than their tools that they have been in the last couple of years. They're by no means perfect. Uh, the human avatar one does pretty well for, you know, main body shape. You turn it uh, 90 degrees sideways and faces are definitely squished. It doesn't have the depth quite good. It looks like a bit of a rag doll. So it's definitely getting there. But the fidelity is definitely climbing in the last six months with these sort of three tools going from near impossible to look, it's not great, but it certainly is a damn fine start. Um, you know, this is, this is uh, something to watch. But yeah, um, text to 3D is definitely coming for people who need to do models on the fly or for later on immersion in scenes. So Talk about dreaming of electric sheep. I think this one might give us a way in to mm -hmm. give us that dream port that we were always wanting. Mirik, over to you. Uh, yes, I think today I'd like to mention just a piece of opinion, a post really from LinkedIn by Brian Schwab, uh, who is the director of uh, interaction design at the Lego Group. And he, he just brought a short piece that resonated with me, and it's about XR and what it is in nutshell and what people expect from this technology. And he's saying something that I've been thinking for a long time, uh, that it, this kind of technology is not really about visuals and fooling people that something that isn't really there is there with you know visual effects and, and, and just believable graphics. It's more about an interface between a person, a person and a machine or something else that, that that is not human and for that you don't really need photorealism but you need really uh, to rethink uh, interaction design and how that person interacts with the data how the data is presented to the person and why would you do it in the first place and maybe you know we could we could talk about that maybe with violet because i, I believe your work is, is kind of 
similarly focused. You're thinking more about why should a thing exist in the first place, what this allows you to do, you know, what kind of new possibilities it unlocks rather than, you know, this is not the reality that we're trying to fool people to believe that they're in. Yeah, I feel like one thing I like about that direction or that line of thinking is that I think one of the biggest potentials of all of this spatial AI that we're talking about is more um, the potential to move beyond keyboards mm -hmm. and mice, like keyboards, which were came out of um, the printing press. And somehow in the 1800s, that was developed. And now we're still using that to interact with computers. It's like so arcane. So being able to interact naturally with computers through our bodies, through speaking and gesturing, and also not just like how we interact on our side, but also how it layers onto the environment. So like rather than looking and peering into a, a user interface that l talks about a room, we can actually be in the room and see information on that room about that room. Yeah, that nice. So rather than having this abstraction, we're, we're, we're not having to translate through keys and mice. And we're not having to translate through UIs and screens. We're just interacting with the room itself. So I really like, I imagine that's going to really change even the way we're able to like empathize with what we're doing because it becomes so much more tangible and real. It's not like this abstract thing anymore. Yeah, we still have this concept of having screens, even our mouse is on a 2D plane, a keyboard or a trackpad uh, 2D. And then we often represent things in 3D space, 2D as the intermediate, but that's such a limiting factor. Merrick? Mm -hmm. if, if I can argue with you a little bit, uh, I, th mm -hmm. I think I'm perfectly fine with keyboard and mice. And, and interfaces, even touch screens that, you know, are perfectly fine for what you want them to do. But I think this line of thinking is more about, um, you know, what are the applications that are impossible to conceive different technology that is not right there in that space. And I've, I've explored three of these areas or two myself. I think one really interesting medical application of XR that was like, Finally, this is somebody's getting it. And that was doctors operating on a patient and they had an overlay of an MRI scan. It was like really meticulously positioned so that they can actually rely on the data. They could see through the patient. So seeing through things is like one interesting application of XR. Imagine a different scenario. You're in a building and you're about to remodel a house and you might be looking for where the wirings and conduits are in the house. So it might really help to have a reliable map and just put on some sort of, you know, headset and just see where things are, which is something you can't really do in, in any other way. And the two areas I explored myself was generative design. In 3D, you're building some sort of structure. It could be, you know, as big as a house or it could be a piece of furniture, but you're designing that thing for a particular spot and you want the context to kind of influence your thinking. But also, you're working together with an AI, you might call it, it might be an algorithmic, you know, thing, a program that just helps you uh, kind of keep the physical constraints of whatever you're doing so that you don't go too crazy to make sure you can actually make the thing when, you, when, you, when you're done. So I think this is like another 
application of an interface that takes into account the person, the human operator, some sort of AI, and the physical location that, 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 we're, that we're trying to do something in. And the third thing is, is what I'm doing currently, and that's robotics, right? So you see what the robot can see. You have some shared uh, data that are relevant both to the robot and to the, to the human. Uh, you can scale this up easily. And again, like this is really hard to do with flat screen or you know, just sitting at your laptop because when, in this case, the environment becomes the canvas, you can do much more cognitively as a person. You can absorb much more information. It's just functional, you know, side effect of that. And you're not losing your situational awareness by just staring at a little screen and you're mm. not paying attention to what the robot is doing and whether it's trying to run somebody over. Uh, I myself, uh, I, I used to think that, that this kind of medium will replace, you know, all the... Uh, all the technologies we have, and, and there were a bunch of people in the Silicon Valley years ago when, you know, during the last hype cycle, that were promising new interfaces and you'll be sending emails by, you know, throwing a ball at somebody and, you know, virtual thing that I, I believe that we don't need this kind of abstraction and we can actually, you know, as, as, as humans who've been using technology and, and working with abstractions, we can actually keep using that what we have for you know emails and you know this work and maybe CAD work maybe you know it's more uh, convenient to sit down at your desk and just work on a 3d model for 12 hours than try to do that in vr or ar uh, i think I, sometimes, I just, sometimes but i don't know if i want to certainly I don't want a surgeon operating on me remotely with the mouse and keyboard. I want them to use their hands. Like some of these. No, no, no. This, is, this, 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 this like was more like the, to be the surgeon is, is using their hands and maybe, you know, endoscopes and it's like robot that, you, that mm. you're driving, you know, it's, it's right there. This is more like an extra layer of information for that person mm -hmm. that needs to be reliable, reliable definitely. I wouldn't like anybody to do any sort of medical procedures on me using my software at its current state. You cannot take my kidney. So, no. <laughs> but it, there's this, like, I've, I've seen so many people, and I'm, I'm blamed from this. Like, initially, you know, you have all these ideas, and you'll be like, I, I designed an interface for, like, you know, Spotify in AR, and you can just, you know, do a little gesture, and it just plays another. So it's not necessary. That's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like we're fine with with technologies that are optimized over 40 years of, of development, and we don't do I mean, need to first like take that and try to do it in 3D where it doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, I think that's a really this. important point. It's like you need to think about when it makes sense for something to be more spatial and a lot of things like writing you know it, it's actually slower to write by hand than it is to use a keyboard so there yeah. there's always going to be these kinds of trade-offs i would just argue that there's so much work that we do that actually requires that kind of spatial context but i do really agree with you this like the capabilities it unlocks also has to do with much more with that environmental context and being able to layer in information to help you do completely new things. I agree. 
Alrighty team, we might leave Fast Five there, take a quick break and we'll come back with our deep dive. Deep dive. Welcome back. This is Deep Dive. This week we're going to be talking about the big one. Yes, this is take mm, take one of many of trying to define what even is spatial AI. Um, the old parable metaphor of five blind people each describing the elephant and having different uh, experiences. Well, there's four of us here, so four blind people here trying to grasp in the darkness what this is. Helena, in your experience, how would you sort of give a, give a I don't know, 50 word version or how would you describe to someone at a party what the heck is spatial AI? So, I mean, as, as a geographer from way back, for me, space is Cartesian space. It's uh, latitude, longitude. It's a place on Earth. And so I suppose my personal kind of lens on spatial AI is really more a geo AI lens, if you will. So I'm really kind of more thinking in terms of applications such as extracting, um, you know, kind of objects out of aerial imagery um, and, and kind of predictive data analysis, layering in various different data sources, um, mapping that out onto space. And I think that's kind of um, one aspect to it. Whereas then I suspect that others in the room are kind of perhaps more focused on um, smaller and, and like maybe even indoor spaces, maybe perhaps like places we'd call them. Maybe there's a space place thing. Um, I'm not going to put those words in anyone's mouth. I just, I suspect there's different uh, scales as is, you know, always the case uh, in geographic concepts. There's always different scales to everything. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the problem with um, defining spatial AI is that we could be talking at any scale, you know, we could be talking at a uh, broad, global, universal, even scale, or we could be talking at a very much local kind of granular scale. And so I think um, perhaps we should just have a discussion about that. Like what what is the broad consensus and then what do we mean in this room when we talk about it for also, you know, the listeners so that we don't get, um, you know, too many muddled messages because I'm sure some other people out there see it mainly through a GOAI lens like myself and then I'm sure there are others yet again who have very different conceptualizations so um, me personally GOAI geographer um, also you know kind of marketing background I'm more interested in um, thinking about also how can other AI that doesn't necessarily have a spatial component help us um, bring the concepts across to an audience in a more, um, you know, digestible way? How can we take something that's typically technical and sometimes misunderstood and communicate about it better? Uh, and what tools can help us do that? So that's kind of um, my different lenses. Uh, yeah, back, back to you, AB. What, what do you guys think, everyone? <laughs> uh, top work, by mean. So your scales, your biggest scale is the world. And then smaller scales are things on maps and things that uh, that uh, do become human, human, uh, human size. Yes, I think on a spatial scale, that's where I'm, I'm. You know, basically, if you think of the world map and and like 
okay, do a digital version and it's on your phone and you take your two fingers and you go in, 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 and zoom in, 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 until you can, you know, you're at one very point of the earth. Um, that's kind of the, and in that point, maybe there's someone, you know, in a room with their robot doing cool stuff and that they're telling their robot to do stuff within that place. And that's kind of the, the granular thing um and that's where i would argue it's more about place and then if we take our fingers and zoom out 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 until we're looking at the whole world um taking aerial imagery or satellite imagery where we're looking at the the bigger scale that's kind of like you know the, the other end of the spectrum in terms of scale i would argue yeah totally violet that sort of aligns with some of the work you've been doing I would, I, I like the way that you think about it because I really like that it's um, really the way that humans understand the world. So much of my thinking around spatial AI really comes from William <laughs> because he, since he started this spatial AI course, he's been doing so much trying to think about what is spatial AI, trying to define it. And so um, you know, the way he thinks about it is really about um, it's essentially AI that's applied to all aspects of spatial reasoning. So in terms of scale, I would say it's even more expansive. Like if you think of the powers of 10 video from Charles and Ray Eames, if anyone's seen that, it's like it, it zooms in even further. <laughs> and so it's much more about um, how AI is used in spatial reasoning. And that could be for mm -hmm. designers, that could be in actual environments where you um, actually imbue environments with behavior that comes from AI. So like, you know, um, it has certain types of intelligent spatial behavior, or that could even be um, the experiences you have in spaces. So the inhabitants of space having kind of um, AI methods. So a robot that navigates a space with AI. So all in all of those instances, it's much more about spatial reasoning being mm -hmm. applied with AI. Yeah. Eric, do you have that same sort of mm -hmm. uh, need in the sort of the uh, tools that you're building of reasoning and place or is it is is the human firmly in charge of the red button pressing i th i think it's really many things right the topic is really broad and from slightly different perspective of an engineer i think whatever like, many things that you wouldn't call spatial ai are like oh google map you know trying to take you through town and you know that there's a space element to it there's an ai element to it but it's like it's one limited use case and i think that's really helpful to to see this topic in this way so uh and what i'm currently doing there's robots involved there's humans involved there's a bunch of slam and tracking and lasers and all that but all these things typically do one thing and it's as little as possible because it's not just that engineers are lazy, but why would you overdo things? Why would you create human level of intelligence to navigate a robot through a two-dimensional map when, you know, an algorithm that's well-tested, open-source, all the good stuff, it's already out there and you can achieve very, uh, you, can, you can get very far with just doing very little. 
and then the, the the ultimate product of this is some spatial awareness if you need that to be sort of tied to something else like you know a human interaction you need to do more but again it's like it's separate things it's not gonna be you know never probably one giant you know brain in the cloud that knows everything about everything uh, it's gonna be little things that, that do as little as possible to achieve the common goal yeah nice so the building block approach and certainly as a uh, dev that is that is the way you build things so that's that's the option to break it down into manageable known chunks, beg, borrow, grab code where need be. But your secret source is the middle where you can actually apply just what's needed to be spatially aware and solve the problem at hand. So, no, love it. For my money, I did a uh, long blog post on the Spatial website, all links, you know where to find them, um, that I syndicated to a few places, literally to put out a version 0.0.1 of a few word salads. Um, I love the fact that no one can hide their ways of working. Mine is to go visual as soon as possible. So it's got a Venn diagram there without fail and then a large bullet list of just, you know, ideas and concepts. But it is sadly just that. It is trying to chart a Hebe Dragon's edges of a possible map, but I know that the map is going to be growing and shrinking and the edges are going to be clear here and wobbly over over here. Um, all I'm hearing by all means is the fact that this is not a technical endeavour. Uh, I'm already going to be copying flack for calling it spatial AI. I know the dagger in my back is firmly implanted from those who say it's not AI, it's ML or it's not ML, it's merely data science or it's merely statistics or whatever it is. Um, everyone sort of knows it's a nice shorthand for all the new ways of working, all the model approach, as opposed to I bashed out 200,000 lines of code to solve the problem with hard, fast rules. So there's a few get out of jail free cards that I'm using when I'm even using the phrase spatial AI. Um, but for me, it, it really is that mix of spatial uh, computing realm and the geospatial realm firmly on one side. And then the other side is all these new ways of working that the AI world is giving us. and choose your definition of AI, you can make a case that was it AI is part of ML or ML is part of AI, it doesn't matter. It's basically what are some neat ways that we don't have to do things the old ways anymore. So the humanistic, sorry, the new working ways. And then you add to that the underlay or all that is sliced by one more way of this is a human centric field. Um, it's all, <clears throat> it's all about me. It's all about you. But, you know, it's my space. It's from my point of view. It's not only from the uh, inside out. It's what I want overlaid on my world. But then when we're talking to someone or we're out in the real world, what can be overlaid to help people do the nonverbal communications? And I am waving my hands right now. You know, I am raising my eyebrows and doing all those sorts of things that right now, thank goodness, uh, video conferencing can solve. But and audio doesn't solve it too well. That's all right. We might get the video rolling out one day. Um, but those non-verbals and the new ways of uh, trying to uh, communicate and missing the message because we just read the text. So for me, it's that sort of uh, sadly human-centric, egocentric. But if we put ourselves firmly in the middle, um, yeah, what is spatial AI? It's it's a opening doors to new ways of working that yeah get us away from desks potentially, but that's you know always up for grabs. But yeah, I think the the killer app is still out there. I think we have had a few hype cycles without fail. We've got a little bit of time to go still before there's something that sort of takes the world by storm. Remember the Pokemon Go era when, I forget what they were called, they were 
they weren't zombies, they were zombies or anyway. Basically, there were lots of people in cities around the world all hovering around the same place, finally out in 3D space, holding phones around to try and got to catch them all. Speaking of which, your Bally this um, earlier definitely re- reminded me of one of the Pokemon. <laughs> I'm guilty of playing that game a little bit. Um, but we are sort of waiting for that sort of approach where suddenly a good fraction of the uh, tech world decides, I need this because this is, this is awesome to break through the paradigms. I'm curious what I've been, you know, all of this spatial AI as a term, even is this kind of new thing that we're, we're even kind of co-opting to talk about all these emerging fields. And something that I've struggled with a lot is that what we're really talking about is, you know, we're talking about AI related to spatial things. Um, but so much of what we were doing prior to AI, everything is spatial. We live in a spatial world. We experience it spatially, whether it's a cell or like even on my phone, you know, like one thing I argue is like you might get a text message, but you're still experiencing that information somewhere. And it was sent to you from somewhere. And the way you experience it is changed based on where you're at. So like it's it's. Um, spatial AI is just this kind of struggle thing I struggle with uh, because it's all encompassing because so much of the world already is spatial and yeah I don't know if you guys run into that same that same pain oh for sure it's probably un, untraining 30 40 years of working on uh, devices yeah well, I always think like location is the pin that ties everything together, right? It's always this. It's the same in in data analysis. You know, it's kind of for me again as a as a geographer, <laughs> it's the obvious lens through which to view data sets as well. When we're looking for patterns, when we're looking at company data, you know, I remember I had a um, a company show me their business intelligence dashboard at one point and they were saying yeah and look at all these cool data sources we can pull in and all the stuff we can look at and i was like where's the spatial component like this is all great and whatnot but you know how do you know like don't you think it would be a massive value add to to pull in the spatial components of all of this stuff because the data is there they're just not looking at it you know all these data sets they come with a spatial component and they're just completely failing to look at that and so they're missing on these important insights where how it all kind of is tied together with this one with this one pin so i think any any data sets you layer together you can put a pin through it which is the location that they all share and that they all overlap in and that's going to give you a whole lot more insights than looking at things like disconnected and without that spatial view and so I agree that everything everything is spatial, which adds to the difficulty of limiting the boundaries of what we're even trying to talk about, I think. <laughs> Maybe we've just had our blinders on this whole time. Yeah. You know, it's like everything is spatial, but we haven't always had the tools to recognize those spatial dimensions on this mm-hmm. data. That's it. Um, Excel has a lot to answer for. <laughs> All that data sits in 2D, and you know, if it's if, if you can't do it in Excel, the data isn't real. And if it can't be a chart or it can't be a bar chart, there's there's lots of things that we've just uh, you know we are bringing our own um, human um, um, uh, biases, and a lot of them are just the fact that we are conditioned to mostly think 
in these ways and by means i think this field is to start to break the paradigm and you're right it might be to, to actually revert back to our more natural state Mirak, final thoughts from you i just agree i think most things that we do with computers are spatial uh, by definition i think the context is what we're kind of interested in and and sometimes you need very little context sometimes you project data on your map and it's also spatial and it's perfectly fine and useful sometimes you need much more context because you know there's there's many things happening in certain location um context is king uh, <laughs> that's that's about as much as i think i can add to this easily done look thank you team thanks for that so there's four of us here. We definitely can't even do a hung vote. It's, it, it wanted to be two versus two. It's going to be zero versus zero for have we achieved a firm definition. That's perfectly fine. Uh, we'll come and revisit this topic, I don't know, every, every quarter, every six months and see if we can get a bit closer to anything. Um, you know, the steak sandwich is on me if we ever do actually manage to find a formal definition. I, I can feel fairly sure that that bet will stay unclaimed for a very long time. I feel like it be something that we invite the audience to, to contribute to, <laughs> you know, like what's your thoughts guys? Like anyone listening, what, what do you think? What's your, what, what can you add? Maybe it's like a collaborative community based definition rather than us kind of just throwing around the same ideas in half a year's time with like a, a little bit more maturity. Sure. But I think it's really kind of, if it's new, it's up to what does the world think? And I would really invite kind of people to to share their thoughts with us on that. Love it, love it. We um, have planned to do a a, a collaborative website uh, called spatial.space where we can actually sort of add concepts and fields. It might be the world's largest three-dimensional, four-dimensional graph, see how it goes, but you're, you're quite right. This is a multifaceted topic and the more voices we can add to it, the better we might get to what is the final result. Well, thank you, team. We're going to wrap up there for episode two. I have tasked William in absent, uh, in uh, in absentia, to come up with the deep dive topic for next week. We'll broadcast that on our channels, and uh, yeah, it's one homework for him. I'm sure he's going to be ready and fighting for that. So it should be great. But to all, awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Cool. See ya. Bye. Bye. If you'd like more news and insights about spatial AI or have a story or interesting topic you'd like us to cover, then reach out to us. Or better yet, come and join the community at Spatial. All the links are in the show notes.